Heavenly Father, day by day, we have known thy strength and thy grace. For we as your children, Lord, have known your merciful hand. And we know that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father, for your precious presence and those promises that we hold dear. And now, Father, as we open thy word once again, I pray that you would bring encouragement to our hearts through it. That we might continue to walk by faith and not by sight. And this we pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles now, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, as we are going to continue our study, The Steps of Elisha, as we follow his life and we gain great insight and principles from his life and those who he ministered to. And we come to the familiar story that uh, most of you remember way back in Sunday school. Probably maybe it was one of the first Sunday school lessons you, you ever heard. And it's the story of the widow and the oil, if you remember there. Uh, we come to this uh, brief story, it's seven, uh, seven verses that we're going to look at. 2 Kings chapter 4, but let's begin at verse 1. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. We see that now Elisha comes upon a woman that has no name written. Her name is not given. She's just called a certain woman. So she remains anonymous. And God wanted it this way. We don't even know where she lived. But it probably was uh, either near Bethel, Gilgal, in Gilgal, or Jericho. Does anybody remember what, those three cities and uh, why she might be uh, living in one of those cities? Because of the school of the prophets. If you recall, uh, as we, we were studying along, there's a school of the prophets, and they had different locations in these cities where they, young men went to study under uh, some of the prophets who taught them, taught them the word of God. And uh, I would have loved to have sit in one of those classes, wouldn't you? Uh, would be one of the, to, they were going into the ministry of being a prophet. And so they were called the sons of the prophets. And we, we, what do we know about this woman? Though we don't know her name or exact location. Well, first of all, we see she cries out to Elisha. She sees him walking by. And she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. We see two things that 
give us uh, some identity here and to her husband. One, he was one of the sons of the prophets. He, was, he belonged to that... Uh, uh, he was one of the sons of the prophets. And notice verse 1, it says, a woman of the wives uh, of the sons of the prophets. So we know he was one of the sons of the prophets. But notice she says to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. She uses the phrase, your servant, which would tell us that no doubt Elisha knew this man. Elisha may have even taught him in the, one of the schools of the prophets. He may have been a student of his. And he, he comes out and he says, your, your servant, my husband, is dead. Here is that unexpected tragedy that came upon this woman. We see she has two sons still living there at home. And uh, I'm sure... This death came unexpectedly. And now this is her crisis. She is now a widow. And she also shares with Elisha, she says, Your servant, you, and notice he, she says, And you know that your servant feared the Lord. So there again, this would give us a clue that Elisha knew exactly who this man was. And she knew of her husband's reputation. And uh, because she uses this phrase, Elisha, you knew my husband feared the Lord. And that statement right there sets this man apart. And so she's basically saying, my, my husband was serving the Lord, just like you are. But I, we need help now. Me and my sons need help. She now has the need. Now, she, again, no name here given. We don't know who she is. She's not one of those who's who's in the Bible. But yet, what do we know? That God knew her. And knew her predicament, knew her pain, knew where she was, and though her name is not identified, she was not unknown to God. Think of, of God, the creator of the universe, knowing your name, knowing you by name. Psalm 147, verse 4, David writes, he counts the number of the stars, and you remember the rest of that verse, anybody? He gives names to them all. Did you re recall that God has given every star a name? I mean, if he counts the stars, he put them in place, and he gives each one a name, he certainly knows you. And he, knows, he knew this woman. Here she was. Just a simple woman that just lost her husband. She didn't know what to do because now she's in a crisis. But God knew her name, knows, knows her. I love, again, the, the scriptures that comfort our hearts 
with the promise that God sees us, sees our needs, and will meet them. Psalm 50, verse 11, I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine, God said. And turn to Matthew chapter 6. Let's go over to Matthew 6. And again, just to encourage our heart, Matthew 6, verse 26. As Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, let's pick it up at 25 here. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus said, For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here Jesus is telling the people, he's saying, I'm telling you, don't be anxious in your life. And you could also put the word worry in there for anxious. It's that worry, the worry we have when suddenly we need something in our life. Or there is a problem that arises that came so unexpectedly and suddenly we find ourselves in, in a situation that we have no answers for. And we really don't know how to solve it. We don't know how to deal with it. Here the Lord is saying, whatever your need is, he's saying, first of all, don't be anxious about it. Why? Because your life is more than the things that you need physically. Then he goes on, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? By the way, I know how God feeds some of the birds, through my wife. Yes, so uh, if you come near Cleona and you see uh, a million birds around our house, she, she puts the food out for them. And she loves to feed those birds. But see, whether it's that way or the worm in the ground, who's ultimately providing? Whether it's through us or just miraculously, God provides for the birds of the air. How much more important are we to the Lord? And then verse 27, And which of you, being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? Yeah, some people are, are doing everything they can to, to live longer, right? I mean, if you watch some of these commercials, um, it's always something about helping slow down the aging process. You know, any of you women ever buy that cream? I think there's an anti-aging cream and stuff like that that, that they, they sell. Why? Because they know people are anxious about growing old in their lifespan. But here Jesus says, you know, by being anxious about your life and how long you have to live, by being anxious, is it going to add any length to your, to your lifespan? No. 
And why are you anxious, verse 28, about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? And then, as he goes on, let's get to verse 33. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we clothe ourselves with? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows what you need tonight. Because he knows, Jesus then says, if you remember that the Father knows about your needs, he sees you, and he takes care of all his creation, he's going to take care of you in every aspect of your life. What does he say then? He says, Instead of being anxious, this is what I want you to do. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. There's, what is Jesus saying then? Jesus is saying, I need to focus my life, my thoughts, and my mind on seeking the kingdom of God. Now, some people take this verse and they say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. But they leave out the second part, which I believe is extremely important. Seek first the kingdom of God. What next? And his righteousness. See, I can be seeking the kingdom of God in my life and, or trying to, you know. But if I'm not living a life that is seeking to live righteously before my Father in heaven, then how can I ex uh, expect him to bless me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in all kinds of trouble of my own making because I'm not living righteously. But that's why he, he, he says, seek the kingdom. But in order to seek the kingdom the right way, we have to seek his righteousness as well. And then all these things shall be added unto you. And then over in Matthew 10, just slide over to Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Matthew 10, he, Jesus goes on here, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, apart from God's seeing. But the very, no hair, very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Have you ever just seen one little solitary bird perched on a wire or a tree and ever thought, go, oh, God sees that bird. And if it were to die right then and there and fall, or you see one that's, that's lying dead on the ground. And you, have you ever thought, God, it's amazing that, that you saw that bird 
from, from its, the beginning when you created it and you saw it fall. And you, yet throughout its lifespan, however short and small that is, Father, you provided for that little sparrow. Then why should I be full of anxiety and full of fear and worry? Yes, we need to be concerned about our problems, and we want God to answer them, and that's what we're going to see. So go back with me, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 4, because we see this widow. She's saying to Elisha, my husband feared the Lord. He was was a servant of the Lord. He was one of your servants. You know who he is. But here she now tells Elisha her dilemma. The end of verse 1. And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. The creditor has come. Here we see uh, what is uh, laid out in the law of Moses. Uh, concerning a man and who who has a debt to owe, and he has creditors, and he's got to pay them back. In fact, turn with me to Le- Leviticus chapter twenty-five. Let's go to Leviticus chapter twenty-five, and we'll see here, verse thirty-nine. <clears throat> Leviticus twenty-five thirty-nine, and if a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you he shall not be su- he, he, uh, you shall not subject him to a slave's service he shall be with you as a hired man as if he were a sojourner he shall serve with you until the year of jubilee And then look at verse 41. And he shall then go out from you. And by the way, the year of the Jubilee was the seventh year. Every seven years, God said, every Israelite who owes somebody something is free from that debt. Wonderful. It was a year of celebration. Because you could only gain your money if you gave money or loaned it. They could pay it back up until the seventh year, then they are free of that debt. But verse, verse 41, He shall then go out from you, he and his sons with him. Notice the, the debtor is there with his family. When he goes as a hired, hired hand, a hired servant, to pay off his debt, he's going to pay off his debt by working for the man. He goes with his entire family. He shall then go out from you, he and his sons with him, and shall go back to his family, that he may return to the property of his forefathers. Notice he goes back with his sons, which means the whole time that he is trying to pay off this debt, his sons are helping to pay it off too by their work. They're involved. They're part of the family. And so... Basically, uh, what took place, what was taking place was uh, the, once the 
son of the prophet, the husband of this woman, passed away, then who was going to pay the bill? Who was going to pay his debts? The creditors came around and go, uh, lady, you owe us money. And uh, we want it now. You, you got no more income? Your husband's gone? He owes us? Okay, we'll take your sons. And basically, they had a right to ask for the sons. Now, it, was, it would be cruel for them to take the sons away from the widow. But some did that. And so the creditors were coming by and saying, we're going to take your sons as... And notice, let's go back there real quick. Okay? Go back to chapter 4 of 2 Kings. Notice she says, And the creditor has come to take away my two children to be his slaves. And that's not just servants, but, but slaves. And yet Moses, uh, in the law there, God was saying, right? He said, if they're a Jew and they owe you, don't make them a slave, but make them a servant, a hired hand, a hired servant in your household. But here, her two sons were going to be made slaves. They were going to pay off their father's debt. And so, she cries unto the Lord. She cries and appeals to Elisha. Now, her appealing to Elisha, crying out to Elisha, was really her crying out to God. Because Elisha represented the Lord. And as she saw Elisha, she knew that, that, there, that there was a way that God could provide for her and her need through that man who God has set apart. Her own husband being in the school of the prophets. And now she knows the reputation of Elisha. And so she calls on him for help. She doesn't know how. She doesn't know how. She doesn't tell Elisha, this is what you have to do. All she does is what? Present her need. Present her need. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Instead of worrying and full of anxiety and figuring out, how, you know, I, I'm going to fix this, and, and, we, we're gonna, and we leave God out of the picture. Because our anxiety doesn't even cause us to look to Him. But we try and figure things out for ourselves and solve our own problems all the time without asking the Lord. The Lord wants us to always, what? Come to Him and present our need to Him. And when we present our need to Him and we come in prayer, we know that He hears us. And He will meet our needs. He will meet our needs and, and help us through the crisis however he chooses to do it. And as she calls out for Elisha, what does Elisha do then? Look at verse 2. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. What does Elisha do? Well, he could have said, wait a minute. Uh, your townspeople will take care of you. You know, 
I got bigger needs. You know, um, I, you know, Elisha could have been full of himself. He could have been thinking of, well, you know, I'm looking for, you know, the great miracles that God can do through me. And that he, you know, and, and the magnificent miracles that many people will see. But what does this tell us about Elisha? He, it tells us that he cared about her. He cared about one person and her need. And this should encourage us to be looking for that one person that God may bring into our life that has some kind of a need. It may be physical, it may be spiritual, emotional, but God has put us in their path to be able to help them in some way. And when we realize that and we are willing to say, yes, Lord, show me how you want me to be used in this situation to help help my brother and sister in Christ. That's what the family of God is all about, to be ready to build each other up, to help each other, to help meet each other's needs as a family. We could, instead of saying, well, I'm too busy, so easy to say, I'm really busy. I can't really help you. But no, just like Elisha, he stopped everything he was doing and took time to minister to this woman. And so he asked her, what do you want me to do for you? And then he asked the question and he says, well, what do you have in the house? He, right away by that he, he probably knows what's in there. God may have revealed it to him. But uh, what, is she, what does she have in the house? He's maybe thinking, what can she sell maybe to help pay off that debt? And she says, well, there's nothing in, in, in my house except a jar of oil. That's it. Small little jar of oil. There's the need. There's, all I have is this little jar. What does that remind you of? She says to Elisha, I've got this little jar of oil. That's all I have. It reminds me of Jesus when the little boy came to him, right? When the need was great for the 5,000. And what did Jesus ask the disciples? Is there any food around? And, And Philip brought this little boy, right? Five loaves two fishes. And Andrew says, what is this among so many people? But with God, uh, it doesn't matter how small it is. He will take whatever we give him and he will meet the need. And how beautiful this is that Elisha wants to show this woman and her sons as well as others who will know of this provision that God's going to make that it didn't take much, that God doesn't need much. In fact, he doesn't need anything at all to meet the need. But he wanted to do it with that little jar of oil here. And so what does he tell her? Verse 3. Then he said, Go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels, and do not get a few. In other words, don't just get a handful. Go to the village and get all your neighbors, get as many empty jars as you can. 
And then verse 4. You shall go in with these empty jars into the house, and you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. So in other words, nobody else is going to be in there except her and her sons. This is going to be a personal miracle for their eyes only. And, and he says, And pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. In other words, take your little jar of oil, and when all these big vessels come in, you start filling them up. Now, if Elisha, if you had been in the shoes of this woman, what would go through your mind? What would go through my mind is, is this doesn't make any sense. I've got this little jar of oil, but you want me to go get these empty jars? She could have just said, that's not meeting my need. She could have questioned Elisha. Says, Elisha, what are you doing? I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to send my sons all over the place trying to bring in empty jars. Because I can't logically figure this out. And sometimes when we can't logically figure something out, we think, well, then God can't, can't do it. Unless it fits my logical pattern of thinking. But what, what is it that we find she has that we need when we basically take logic and throw it out the window and replace it with what? Faith. We, we pl- replace it with faith, and that's exactly what she did. She shows, she takes the act of faith, takes the steps of faith. Verse 5. So she went from him, and now it doesn't talk about all the, how many vessels, but they must have gotten a lot of them. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, so, and she poured. Do you see the faith of this woman? What is she doing? She ha- is in the house and has her little jar of oil. And by the way, uh, oil was used for two things. One, for cooking, and also for heat. And for light at night, the oil lamps. So it, it, it was a valuable necessity. So she's pouring. And it says, they were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. It's almost like they kept bringing in another vessel and then another one. And she's in there. And then they close the door. They bring them all in. And she starts pouring. Verse 6, and it came about when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. And the oil stopped. What do we see in that verse? What this woman did? She took the act of faith, pouring the oil into these other vessels, and it kept coming out, kept coming out. Unending flow. Here's the miracle. Oil continued to flow to fill up vessel after vessel. And she, 
Once she fills all the ones that they brought, she says, bring me some more vessels. And she, the, the sons go, there, Mom, there, there aren't any more vessels. We got them all. She just kept saying, Elisha said, get as many, get many as we can, bring them in. And they got every one they could find. And when they got to the last vessel and she poured until that one was full, what does it say there? The oil stopped. The oil stopped. God said, this is how I'm going to meet your need. You called upon me by calling on my servant, Elisha. You have a need, and I'm going to meet it. But it's not going to be the ordinary way. God could have just, Elisha could have come in and, you know, and just, uh, you know, made, made oil appear, you know, right there, you know, and, and just kept, he could have kept, said that, you know, by the way, God's going to keep that little jar of yours. It'll keep flowing for the rest of your life. No, he didn't do that. But God wanted to show her that she had, uh, she had to take that step of faith, believing that every time she poured, God was doing the miracle. But God uh, then said, uh, it brought to the last vessel once that was filled. He said, this is, this is enough. And she stopped, and the oil stopped pouring out of that little vessel. And then verse 7, Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. You and your sons can live on the rest. Do you realize how much oil she must have had? I, I, and what money she could have, must have been able to make as she sold the oil? God had the plan, and he presented it to her through Elisha. And Elisha says, not only will you have enough to pay off your debt, but you're going to have enough for you and your sons to live off the rest of your life. God met the need in a miraculous way. And dear friends, you and I are, you know, now today we don't, we're most of us aren't like this widow who basically is down to nothing. We, we have bank accounts. We have money in the bank. You know, and when was the last time we prayed for, and Lord, give us this day our daily bread? We don't have to in America for the most part, do we? Because it's, it's always there. We have plenty but there are, there are those needs that will come into your life, those, those crises. Then all of a sudden, there is that feeling of, of, of a debtor that comes into your life. It may be in the way of sickness. It may be in the way of a relationship, a problem in the family that is not, not resolving itself. Maybe a friend turned their back on you, whatever it is. And you're hurting even tonight. What we learn from this, we can take to, to our heart tonight, is that God, no matter what the need, God will provide. He will provide and make a way. As Paul said in Philippians, right? 
And my God shall supply how much? All your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a wonderful father we have. And he's going to meet your need. And it may not seem logical to you when suddenly God starts to do something. He may be having you wait, put you in a waiting room. But keep waiting. Keep trusting the God who created you, who saved you, who loves you, and who promised he will provide. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. This simple story has given us so much truth about who you are and what you can do. Father, help us to remember that with you all things are possible. Father, help us to be like this widow and call out to you in the time of trouble. We know that you will answer and deliver your children. And help us, Lord, to take those steps of faith, trusting you and not to be anxious, knowing that, Father, you will make a way through the wilderness. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.